Welcome to the Renew Theology Podcast. I'm Emily. And I'm Bethany. We're two millennial women who enjoy discussing God's Word and how it applies to our lives. We believe in seeking to be rooted and established in the Word and allowing its truth to penetrate every area of our lives. everybody, welcome to another episode of the Renew Theology Podcast. Um, we are here today to talk about what the Bible says about women. Why? Well, because we're women and we want to know what it says about us. And for all you other listeners who are women, welcome for the ride. For you listeners that are men, hey, you got to live with us and we're pretty awesome. So knowing what the Bible says about us is going to be important. Women all over the world are treated with harm, abuse, and oppression in the name of religion. Human history is just riddled with mistreating the weakest in society, um, including women and children, both. And since the fall, there has not been a time in history when all women and children were treated with dignity and respect. This area of civilization has always been lacking in various parts of the world, even the areas that are considered to be more culturally advanced than others. All that being said, we're going to deal today with the claim that women are oppressed in the Bible. The idea that the way of life spelled out in the Bible is one that refuses women rights, dignity, and honor because of their gender. We're also going to deal with some of the main misconceptions that culture has regarding women's role in the scriptures. So speaking about the early church, in Greco-Roman culture, women were seen as the lowest of society, along with children, slaves, uh, the poor, and the uneducated. Women flocked to Christianity in times of the early church, Um, and that's really no surprise considering how the early church taught that women should be treated. Um, It's estimated that approximately two-thirds of the earlier church was made up of women, so this was something that was very popular among the women of the day. So Celsus, who is a second century pagan critic of Christianity, mocked the church and deemed it vulgar because of the number of women it attracted. Surely something worthwhile wouldn't attract women, sarcasm intended. What we often fail to see is that Christianity attracted the women of the time precisely because it elevated their status in a society that oppressed them. Before we move on with some of the misconceptions culture today has about women in the Bible... I just wanted to find the word oppressive here. Um, We're talking about how women were oppressed in the Greco-Roman culture of the early church. So I just want to clarify what we mean by that. So oppressive, according to the Oxford Dictionary, is defined as unjustly inflicting hardship and constraint, especially on a minority or other subordinate group, and weighing heavily on the mind or spirits, causing depression or discomfort. So now we're just going to take some time and we're going to deal with some of the misconceptions that we have nowadays about how women were treated and viewed in the time of the early church. So the first is that women were considered, quote unquote, less than by the early church. So the the logical argument is that women wouldn't have been attracted to a group of people who oppressed them, much less be willing to suffer for a messiah who disregarded them. If women have a choice, they're not going to go and be a part of a group that was not very well looked upon by the rest of the world. Christians were persecuted for centuries, and to be a part of that group makes less sense if women are especially oppressed within that group. 
It seems a bit ridiculous to say that simply because women are restricted from certain activities means that they were oppressed as well. So one of the common activities we hear women being restricted from in the Bible is teaching in the church. So 1 Timothy chapter 2 verses 11 to 14 say this. Let a woman learn quietly with all submissiveness. I do not permit a woman to teach or to exercise authority over a man. Rather, she is to remain quiet. For Adam was formed first, then Eve. And Adam was not deceived, but the woman was deceived and became a transgressor. So a lot of the time this is used just as a straight up like women can't teach. The issue with this is that is the reasoning behind it that is often assumed by people in today's church. So a lot of people assume that women cannot teach because they are more easily deceived and that they are not intelligent or educated enough. Those are some of the reasons. But that's actually not why Paul gives this instruction. He also does not say that all women are more easily deceived than all men. If that was the case, women would not be allowed to teach each other or especially children who are easily deceived. Um, And if women were easily deceived, then why would they be allowed to teach children who are also easily deceived? That doesn't make any sense. The reasons that Paul gives for this commandment is simply that's how God ordered it. Not that one is better than the other. Not women can't teach because they are not as intelligent or not that women can't teach because they are not as educated or not that women can't teach because they sin more. That's not the reason he gives at all. He simply says Adam was formed first and then Eve. God has laid out this order and that should be followed in terms of teaching roles in the church. Okay, so let's think back to where this argument is coming from. In Genesis, the serpent um, the Satan approached Eve first with the temptation to eat the fruit of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. Some people claim that the Satan approached Eve because she was the most gullible. She was the weaker point in the relationship, in the two, in the couple. Well, this makes no sense at all because number one, there's no foundation for that in the scripture. You're reading in your own idea into what those words are saying. If you're going down that logic, you could go the opposite direction just as easily and say that, no, um, the serpent thought that Eve was the leader of the two and therefore was attacking the um, strongest of the two, like cutting off the head type type idea instead of going for the weakest one. So it just doesn't have any founding that women inherently are more gullible or more easily deceived or anything like that. It's like it doesn't make sense. In the early church as well, we have a lot of evidence and a lot of different scripture references where Paul boasts about the women in the church who are active in ministry, who have ministered to him personally or people he knows, and he celebrates how much work these women have done for the church in the name of Jesus Christ. And that's a really important point to think about as well because it just reminds us that women are are used by God in no lesser way than men are. The next misconception we want to deal with is that Satan will use women to tempt men or cause them to sin. So we started to talk about this in our last point, but um, the argument made here is that Eve was deceived, so Satan uses women to trip up men. And I've heard this in really um, extreme conservative circles. Um, I've heard it described as like, men saying to their wives when their wives share an opinion on a decision they're making they say well 
Satan could just be using me to tempt me. So I'm not going to listen to what you have to say. I'm listening to her and I'm going, wow, because I have actually not heard that before. Yes. Bethany is making shocked and appalled faces at me. (laughs) Yes. Um, My thought when I hear that, another example is that, um, and we talked about it a bit in our purity culture episode, but that like women have to completely cover up their body because even just the sight of a female ankle can like trip men up and that it's the just the fact that the woman even has a body yeah is gonna be like a stumbling block which hello no i would like to point out here that in genesis chapter three when we read the story about the fall eve did not receive a worse punishment than adam they both failed um they just failed in different ways eve was deceived by the serpent and adam Um, did not himself make a wise choice. So after Adam and Eve's sin, um, Genesis 3, uh, chapter 3, verse 14 says this. The Lord God said to the serpent, because you have done this, cursed are you above all livestock and above all beasts of the field. On your belly you shall go and dust you shall eat all the days of your life. I will put enmity between you and the woman, between your offspring and her offspring. He shall bruise your head and you shall bruise his heel. To the woman, he said, I will surely multiply your pain and childbearing. In pain, you shall bring forth children. Your desire shall be contrary to your husband, but he shall rule over you. And to Adam, he said, because you have listened to the voice of your wife and have eaten of the tree of which I commanded you, you shall not eat of it. Cursed is the ground because of you. In pain, you shall eat of it all the days of your life. Thorns and thistles, it shall bring forth for you and you shall eat the plants of the field. By the sweat of your face you shall eat bread, till you return to the ground. For out of it you were taken, for you are dust, and to the dust you shall return. So one thing I really want to point out here is that Eve does not receive a worse punishment than Adam. They both failed, but in different ways, and their consequences are specific to them. And the other thing is that Eve's responsibility was to be Adam's helpmate. That was her job. That was the unique skill and place that God gave her in his world. And Adam's responsibility was to have dominion over the earth, and that was his unique gifting and role. The consequences of their actions are specific to each of their giftings and roles in this world that God has created. Eve's place that God gave her was to be Adam's helpmate. But now her natural fleshly desire is going to be contrary to Adam and for all the women who are coming after her. And that is going to make fulfilling her role well much more difficult for her. It's no longer going to be natural for her to do that well. It's going to be something she has to strive for. Similarly, Adam's responsibility, like I said, was to have dominion over the earth and rule over it. And now the earth is going to resist him. It is now going to make it more difficult for him to bring forth food from the land. Um, Prior, you know, things just happened. You didn't have to work for food in the land. And now Adam is going to have to work for it by the sweat of his brow he is going to eat of the fruit of the earth so both of their jobs are now going to be harder their duties have become more difficult to fulfill and this is the consequences of their sin Okay, so I want to talk about 
something that is kind of a thread all throughout the Bible, but definitely starts in Genesis. Um, The woman is pretty special. Number one, she is created out of Adam's rib, not out of the dust of the earth like all of the other creatures. She is special in that um, there's a relationship between men and women that together they are the image of God. They reflect the image of God. And because of that, Satan has wanted to and has succeeded in attacking women um, throughout history. And one of the ways that's come about is a lot of the oppression and abuse that women have been put through since the beginning of time. Um, and Satan, God, Satan also uses the fact that men and women are designed to be together and that women are beautiful. And there's just something very attractive about women. There's something special. There's You can't deny it that the, the female form and the, the women are very special. And Satan uses that. So prostitution and like a lot of the warnings in Proverbs against the the harlot or that type of woman, no wonder that's such a strong temptation because like God has put that in men's heart to want to be with their wife or their woman. And then Satan uses that and twists it because it's a reflection of God and his church. Um, that's also turned around in that wisdom is portrayed as a woman like there's something special about that too um and even in the the future like now in the new testament time period and in the church time period women are just really special and satan wants to attack that because it reflects god um, and his reflection of christ and his church so a lot of what we're talking about is a consequence of satan trying to twist that and just and destroy it Um, which is, of course, a travesty, but we have a choice to either fall in line with what he's trying to do or to say no and follow what God's plan is and how he's laid things out the way that they should work. So it's important to note, um, going back to the Genesis 3 story, it's important to note that before God deals with either Adam or Eve, he deals with the opposer, the Satan. So Satan didn't get away with what he did, and he's not going to in the future. The big picture is that Satan will ultimately be defeated. The humans will ultimately be glorified with God. So the curse that this, um, there will be a seed of the woman who will crush Satan's head, but Satan will strike his heel. So a fatal versus a non-fatal blow. This is obviously Jesus who on the cross and in dying and, and being resurrected has won. And in the future, Satan will be completely vanquished. Um, it's not the fact that even, even Adam ate the fruit. That's not the biggest thing going on there. It's the fact that now there is an opposer for humanity. And that's why God deals with, um, Satan first. It's not that he gets away with it. The third issue here that we want to address in terms of how we misinterpret women's role in the Bible is specific to the marriage relationship in that wives are lesser than their husbands. So a lot of people use 1 Peter chapter 3 verse 7 um, to say that women are the weaker vessel. And that verse says this, likewise husbands live with your wives in an understanding way showing honor to the woman as the weaker vessel since they are heirs with you of the grace of life so that your prayers may not be hindered. So a lot of people take this and they say, Yep, women are the weaker vessel, they can't handle as much, and therefore 
they are not as valuable. But that's really not what this verse is saying. Again, I want to highlight that this is this verse is specific to husbands and wives. This is not men and women in general. This is exclusively within the marriage relationship. So a weaker vessel refers to the physical body. Women are physically weaker than men. That is just a fact. It is a scientific fact. It is why we have men's sports and women's sports. This does not refer to a woman's mental or moral, emotional or spiritual abilities. The root word um, that is used here for vessel um, refers more to the fact that women are more delicate. They are not lesser in their usefulness, but they're just different than men. One time I heard a lady who was watching, um, she ran a daycare out of her home, and I remember her admonishing one of the little three-year-old boys that was running around to be gentle with the girls, and the phrase she used was, because God made girls a little softer. And I just loved that. I thought that was the most adorable way to explain that to a little kid. Not in the sense of weaker, not in the sense of not strong, but just you need to be more careful with women because that's how God made them. And I thought that was kind of cute, the way she yeah. explained that. It might be Eric Ludi who I'm thinking of. I can't remember. Um, but something about the fact that he always teaches his boys that if someone needs to be cold, if someone needs to do the heavy work, if someone needs to be whatever, it's you're gonna it's gonna be you. Um, and that like you're deferential to women. The boy goes down and the girl goes free. It was to, it was about some story he had from when he was growing up where he his dad had taught him that and he's like, okay, like you just you, there's just certain things you don't do to women. You you just don't, hmm. which I think is special. It's important. Yeah. The other thing I want to point out in this verse um, is the phrase, since they are heirs with you of the grace of life. So heirs with you um, would have been a pretty significant phrase to use back then. In that day, women had no rights as property owners. They didn't get to receive inheritances unless literally all their male relatives had died. And they were sort of a last resort in terms of carrying on the family name and that sort of thing. So this is a very countercultural passage because Peter is actually pointing out to husbands and he's reminding them that their wives are joint heirs with them. They are equal in their economic status. And he's using an economic phraseology to refer to their um, role in the church and their um, role in their marriage. He's saying, look, husbands, your wives are inheriting the exact same thing you are in terms of eternal life and God's grace. So you need to treat them as such. You don't get to treat them as lesser than because in God's eyes, they are just as valuable as you. There is no male or female. Exactly. In Christ. Exactly. They need to treat their wives honorably and lift them up. The last thing I want to point out in this verse is the consequence that Peter warns about. He says, you need to do this so that your prayers may not be hindered. That's a very serious warning. Peter is actually saying to husbands, hey, if you do not treat your wives, if you do not live with them in an understanding way, if you do not show them honor, and if you do not recognize that they're heirs with you of the grace of life, God is not going to listen to their prayers. He says, your prayers are going to be hindered if you do not treat your wife the way that God asks you to treat her. So that's pretty serious, I would say, in terms of like, this is a big deal. This is, this matters a lot in your spiritual life um, in terms of marriage. 
Yeah, I've got two thoughts moving forward with that too. The first is that um, there's a lot of talk in the New Testament about how men and women are both adopted um, through a sonship model in the sense that in these times, men were the only inheritors. The The oldest son or the sons got more. And so there are, like women are treated as sons in the sense that they do not get nothing because they're women. Like they're equal in as being heirs of Christ, as being adopted sons and daughters. We're all getting the same inheritance as the firstborn son. So that's a way different way of thinking about women in that time. The marriage relationship is the husband as picturing Christ and the wife as picturing the church. And this is a picture between God and his church. And that's another good reason why a lot of these different phrasings like weaker vessel or being heirs with you or um, husband's prayers being hindered is because this picture is important. This typology, it's a reflection of God's relationship with his church. And God's, even in the Old Testament, anytime that there's a type, um, he's very careful to safeguard it, um, making it different and special. And because the marriage relationship is one of the most, like, there's so many married couples that God wants you to be careful that you don't just treat, treat it as a normal thing. It's important. It's been ordained by him as something that people do that is a reflection of his love for the church. And because of that, he does have some of these rules laid out. Like your prayers will be hindered because this is important. So the next claim is that submission is oppressive. Oh no, the dreaded S-word, submission. Um, So submission is the act or fact of accepting or yielding to a superior force or to the will or authority of another person. Thank you, Oxford Dictionary. Oppression is the prolonged, cruel, or unjust treatment or control, the state of being subject to unjust treatment or control, mental pressure or distress. Again, thank you, Oxford Dictionary. So 1 Peter chapter 3, verse 1. In the same way, wives, submit yourselves to your own husbands, so that even if some disobey the Christian message, they may be won over without a message by the way your wives live, when they observe your pure, reverent lives. So that's just one verse talking about how women are to submit to their own husbands. There are plenty more we could um, cite here. So this command for wives to submit to their husbands, it's not for all men and women. It is a command for husbands and wives. So not so any man does not have control over any woman. And every single woman does not have to submit to every other man out there. It's only for married couples. Yes. Yeah, so as for myself, as a married woman, the people in authority over me is not all men in my church. It is my husband, William, specifically. And people who are actually in leadership roles in my churches in my church, like my pastor and elders. Those are the only people who actually have authority over me in that sense. And the pastors and elders only have authority because they have authority over everybody in the church. That's not because they're men. It's just because that they're in a leadership role. So submission is an act on the part of the wife. It's a choice that she makes. It's not something, okay, Emily's like, preach, preach, preach here. 
Um, it's not something that you can force a woman to do. If you do that, it's not, it's not submission. It's oppression. So oppression is something that is forced on the wife or she does not choose it. I find a lot of the time people have an issue with the word submission because they are giving it the definition of oppression. It's like, no, like the, like submission is like an attitude and it's something you choose. It is not something that is forced on you. It's a command from God. But like, if I'm disobeying that command, that's between me and the Lord. That's it. William doesn't get to come into me and be like, honey, like God's really been convicting me that you're not submitting to me. Like, I mean, he can come to me and be like, hey, I feel disrespected or whatever. But like, if I'm not submitting, that's a heart issue that it's between me and God. So biblical submission uh, in the broader sense is a reflection of how we as the church, capital C, universal church, submit to Christ. Um, It's a picture that God has put in the Bible. And like Bethany said, like in a marriage relationship, the husband and wife are representative of, of Christ and his church. So me submitting to my husband is how I do that in like that marriage relationship. But in a bigger picture, I participate in submitting to Christ um, because he is the head of the church. When we run into issues of of husbands not treating their wives well um, and then blaming the woman for not submitting and saying, hey, well, you're not submitting, so that's the reason um, that your marriage has issues, that it's really not okay to say that. Um, instead, we need to deal with the people who are mishandling God's word, who are changing the word of God to suit us. Instead of saying that submission is bad because people have abused it and you don't think it's in the Bible, maybe you should correct the mishandling of scripture that the people are doing to give a wrong view and a wrong practice. We need to be careful about how we react against this because the issue is never the word of God. The word of God is perfect. It is inspired by him. The issue is not women be stronger. The issue is let's deal with the people who are misinterpreting scripture and who are taking that scripture and twisting it to give themselves more power. That's the real issue here. The Hebrew word for helper as relating to Eve in Genesis is the word ezer or ezer. This is actually the same word that describes the Holy Spirit as being a helper um, to us that Jesus talks about in the New Testament that we now have living in our hearts. So take that. Women as helpers are not lesser. We fill a similar role to the Holy Spirit. Not that we're God. No. <laughs> but <laughs> but yeah, there's this there's this beautiful thing that God has done where he has said, you know what? Like I'm going to place man in this role and woman's going to be in this role where she fills the gaps. She's going to help man do what he cannot do on his own. And that's very, like God has given women a very specific place and a very wonderful place in his world. I think that's so cool how God uses that same word to describe himself, where he is our helper in the things that we cannot do on our own. God fills the gaps and he sustains us. So he has given women the privilege of picturing that role in a marriage relationship. I also think that because men and women are different, even if you're not married, you can still have those complementary effects on each other. Oh yeah, women are needed in the church. And everywhere. Like, I'm, I don't know. I think that I come with specific giftings and skills and, and roles that are, because I'm a woman, I do have those 
that are different from the men that I work with and that I bring something different to the table. I'm glad about that. I'm, I'm excited about the fact that what I have is valuable and different and needed. Yeah. It's a good thing that we're different. Yeah. And one thing we did not even talk about today is how Jesus talks to women and deals with them in his ministry. And you do not have to look far. You only have to read the gospels to realize that Jesus um, took special time to talk to the women he came across. There was women who he really valued. He stayed in their homes. They ministered to him as he traveled, um, speaking to people. And um, he chose to reveal himself to women first at the tomb, which is a really cool thing because in that day and age, a woman's testimony didn't even count in court. And yet he chose to appear first to them. So we didn't have a whole lot of time today to talk about that. But if you want to research that yourself, just dig into the word and um, open up the gospels and just find all the places that Jesus interacted with women. He really lifted women up in his ministry and he took the time to teach them and talk with them. We have only scratched the surface of women in the Bible and how women live out their roles in the church. And so you will probably see more episodes or rather hear more episodes about that in the future, which we're really excited about. So with that, we are going to bring this episode to a close. If you have any questions or comments, you can email us at renewtheology at gmail.com. You can find us on social media. We're on Facebook at Renew Theology Podcast and we're on Instagram at Renew Theology. And if you're listening on Apple Podcasts, you can go ahead and subscribe to this show so that you never miss an episode. And we'd really appreciate it if you would scroll down and just rate this episode um, either by tapping the stars or by leaving us a review. Um, We really appreciate that. And it's very encouraging to us. We will chat with you next week. Bye.